Welcome to the Cross Church Podcast. Sunday, September 8th, marks the beginning of our new series, This Is My Story, a study in Acts 8 to 10. Miraculous conversion stories follow the early church. Too often we focus on the miracles of tongues, healings, deliverance from jail, etc., but we miss the most important miracle of all, namely the salvation of lost people. The gospel was and still is central to the Christian faith. In this series, we will be exploring the stories of people who were miraculously saved against all odds. We want everyone to think of his or her own conversion story and consider sharing it. We want to make sure that you are ready to go to heaven and by God's grace that you will bring someone with you. Imagine the stories we'll hear in heaven. Enjoy part one. Well, good morning, everybody. So we're beginning a brand new series called This Is My Story. And in case you uh, can't connect those dots, basically we're talking about, about witnessing, about sharing our faith, about telling other people about the Jesus that we know. Now, I will say this to you this morning, that, um, that for many of us, that maybe grown up in the church and maybe haven't really thought much about it, that we feel if we've been baptized, we attend church on Sunday, put a few bucks in the offering plate, that's good enough, I've done my duty, I've been kind to God, what else could he ask of me? Well, if you want to know, uh, you've come to the right place. Jesus has called us to be his witnesses. In fact, Jesus tells us to be his witnesses. Um, it, it, it's proclaimed in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, which we're going to look at this morning. But before we do that, I just want to share with you something that's interesting that uh, maybe is a wake-up call to us as Christians. And, and, and it's this. There are 2.3 billion Christians or people who identify themselves as Christians in the world today, and there's 1.8 billion Muslims. Now, in saying what I'm going to say to you, I'm not saying that we hate anybody. We're not saying that at all. We're talking about Christianity and about, about who we are as Christians. Well, here's what the latest uh, statistics say. They say that Muslims, the Muslim or Islam, will grow more than twice as fast as the overall world population in the next 40 years, and in 30 years will surpass Christianity as the world's largest religious group. Now, I, I'm not so sure that we're going to be around in 30 years. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, increasingly of the conviction that Jesus is coming any time. He's got to. We, how many would want, are looking for Christ's return? And the sooner the better. Say amen. Yeah, I'm with you on that. So what's happened here? How is it that, that, uh, that Christianity is on the decline? It's not growing as, as it was. Well, first of all, birth rates among Muslims uh, it tends to be higher than amongst Christians. But there's another reason, and it's this. Christians are not sharing their faith as they once did. And so here we are. Um, you know that I, as the pastor of this church, uh, committed to making disciples. You know that we talk about the importance of making disciples. If you're familiar with, with our discipleship strategy, you know that the sixth habit that we teach is making disciples, witnessing, sharing your faith, telling others about Christ. You know that that's important. But here's, a, here's what happens with a lot of people. When it comes to this question about witnessing, about sharing our faith with others, we instantly have maybe this sort of a view. 
or this notion of what's actually going on. Um, this idea of going door to door, this idea of knocking on doors like a Mormon or like a JW, it just kind of turns us off and we'd say, Pastor, you know, I'm a little bit too sophisticated for this. Well, let me just be honest with you. I am I'm an introvert, and the idea of going to someone's door and knocking on it and telling them about Jesus sets me off into a cold sweat. I, it does not come easy to me. Now, I, I, having said that, I want you to know that I actually have done this. I've done this uh, more times than I can count. And uh, I can tell you that God has blessed those efforts, and we have seen people come to Christ because of it. But I, wanted, I want you to know something today. That being a witness for Jesus Christ is really a partnership with the Holy Spirit because you cannot be a witness in your own strength. So the idea of going and doing cold calls, if it makes you break into a sweat, well, there's usually reason for that. And that's because you think that to be a witness for Christ is something that you do in your own strength. Interesting, isn't it, that Jesus told his disciples, do not go and, and, and evangelize, don't tell anybody about me until you've been clothed with power from on high. And so this is what you and I need to understand. If you're a Christian, if you are indeed a real Christian, not just a nominal Christian or somebody who identifies as a Christian, but somebody who's been truly converted, somebody who's truly born again, then you have the Holy Spirit in you, and that Holy Spirit is there to empower you and to strengthen you and to help you become what God wants you to be, and that is to be a witness. So for four weeks, we're going to be talking about about sharing our story. We're going to talk about witnessing and how to witness. And we're going to ask some of you here to be willing to, to, to share your testimony. In fact, we've got some, uh, some videos that have been made. We were supposed to show one this morning, uh, but we had some video problems with it, so we're going to show it, share it next week, hopefully. Uh, but we're going to share some video clips. And if you are one of those people that would say, yeah, you know what? I really feel like I want to share my story. I want to share what Jesus has done for me. Then, uh, then, then just, just let us know, uh, info at crosschurch.ca, and we'll get you signed up. Now, here's what you and I need to understand uh, about, about witnessing. Witnessing is God's will for us. This is what Jesus wanted us to do. He wanted us to go and tell people about him. Witnessing, witnessing, is not an attempt to convert people to your religion. You need to understand that. This is what we think. We think, I've got to get them from their religion to convert to my religion. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is simply allowing the Holy Spirit to use you to introduce people to your Jesus. We're not talking about religion. We're talking about a relationship with Christ, knowing Christ, being a witness for Christ. And here's the thing, when we faithfully share our story of what Jesus has done for us, that's when miracles begin to happen. It's important that you understand that. We cannot, we cannot grow the church in our own strength. In fact, Jesus said that. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail or will not win against the church. The, the, the church is triumphant. 
It, it will go forward, it will grow, it will do the work that God's called us to do. However, we need to understand our responsibility to obey Christ and simply get our story out there. Don't, you don't need to panic about it, you don't need to worry about it. All you need to do is say, God, I'm available, use me to do the work you've called me to do. Now, Acts 8 is where we begin And Acts 8 begins with a very shocking, shocking, uh, it's jarring information about Saul, uh, who later becomes Paul the Apostle. Saul is not a Christian yet, and he has just presided over the, the stoning, the death of Stephen. And if you know the book of Acts, you know that in Acts chapter 6, that Stephen, along with six others, are appointed and anointed to be deacons in the church. Well, Stephen almost immediately is put to death because of his proclamation, because of his sharing of Jesus Christ. It's shocking. Look, I'm not going to, I'm not going to gloss over anything, and I'm, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to pretend that this is easy. In fact, here's what we know. We know that persecution of the church almost instantly uh, broke out in Jerusalem. And we read then in verses 2, 3, and 4 of Acts chapter 8, that this great persecution in Jerusalem had actually forced Christians to scatter, to, 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 to leave Jerusalem, the safe place where it all began, to go out into the world. Let me share with you um, what, what Jesus said to his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We call this one, of the, one, uh, one version of the Great Commission. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, in Acts chapter 8, we find ourselves in the, in the city of Samaria. Now, here's what you need to know about Samaria. Samaria was hated by the Jews. The Jews hated the Samaritans, and the Samaritans, by the way, hated the Jews. The Samaritans are what you might call half-breeds. They were half-Jewish and half-Gentile. The Jewish people felt that they were, uh, they were a despicable race, because they were half-breeds. And the Samaritans, not really having a choice, I mean, what can you do? If you're a half-breed, you're a half-breed. You can't, there's nothing you can do about it. So what they do is they develop their own form or their own version of Judaism. Well, it's a mess. But God has moved Philip from Jerusalem into the place called Samaria. Now, I want you to see this. This is very critical. This, this shows us the fulfillment of Christ's commission. It's thrilling. Philip goes there, and he begins to preach, and, he, and people are getting saved, and people are being healed, and, and paralytics, uh, they are, are being healed, and just amazing things are going on. In fact, it's so thrilling that it says in verse 8, so there was great joy in that city. Pretty cool stuff. Now, one of the people that was converted, his name was Simon, Simon Magus. So I'm going to tell you his story today. 
Simon Magus, uh, maybe you've heard the term magi, that the magi came to visit Jesus when he was a baby. Well, Simon is, is one of them. He's of, of that category. He's, he's a magician, uh, sometimes called Simon the Knowledgeable, Simon the Sorcerer, Simon the Magician. This guy has, has literally astounded people with the great things that he is able to do. I want to read to you eight, uh, Acts 8, 9 to 12. It says, a man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as, listen to this, the great one, the power of God. Every one of the words in that title is is capitalized, the great one, the power of God. What is he saying? He's saying he's he's on the same uh, level as God himself, or at least uh, of Jesus. And then verse 11, they listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. But now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself believed, and he was baptized, and he began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and great miracles that Philip had performed. It looks like Simon has become a Christian. It says he believed Philip's message. It says that he was baptized. It says that he was in fellowship with the Christians, going to church. It says that he was following Philip around. He was in all the, all the meetings, all the revival meetings. Philip was there in the, or not Philip, but Simon was in the front row listening and watching. What's going on with Simon, the great one? Well, he saw in Philip the real power of God. He knew that his power was nowhere near the power that Philip had, and he wanted to stay as close to Philip as he could. In fact, he wanted some. He wanted something of what Philip had. Simon, it seems, his life is transformed, and everybody's talking about it. Did you hear the news? Simon became a Christian. Simon, the great one. The power of God is now surrendered to Christ. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard about this, heard about the great work that Philip is doing in Samaria, when they heard about the miracles, they thought, we gotta go check this out. You I mean, a Jewish person at this time was loath to think or believe that God would want anything to do with a Gentile, much less a Samaritan. How many know today that God loves all people of all races, of all backgrounds? God loves all people. In fact, the Bible says, you learned this as a child, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Peter says to John, look, we gotta go. Stop what you're doing. Let's get up to Samaria. Um, this is shocking. Uh, I can't, we, we can't hardly believe it, but we got to go check this out. So when they get there, as soon as they arrive, 
they prayed for the new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then verse 17, it says, Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in tongues, the way that the believers in Acts chapter 2 in Jerusalem spoke in tongues. Make no mistake about it. God is sending a signal to the world that his love for the Jews is absolutely equal to his love for the Samaritans and for all people, as you're going to see in Acts chapter 10. But I want you to see something here, because this is where it gets strange. Simon is looking at Peter and John, laying hands on people, and here's what it says. It says, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. Peter hits the roof. Here's what Peter says in Acts 8, verse 20. But Peter replied, may your money be destroyed with you for thinking that God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts. For I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. Hey, we're talking about people's stories. And I would love to tell you that Simon's story is an inspiration. It's not so much an inspiration as it is a lesson to us. And here's the first thing that you and I need to understand. Not everyone who says, I'm a Christian, is a Christian. Did you hear that? Not everyone who self-identifies as a Christian is, in fact, a Christian. That comes as a shock to some of you. It's people who call themselves Christians who were not Christians that have, in fact, given Christianity a bad name. And we, we saw that, didn't we? The abuses in the residential schools. In the name of Jesus, are you kidding me? People who are in religious positions, priests and ministers and Christian workers and nuns, in the name of Jesus, did great and horrible damage to the cause of Christ. Not everyone who calls himself a Christian is a Christian. And I hope that you and I are discerning enough to recognize that when someone declares that they are a Christian, but then proceed to act in a way that is not Christian, that you will stop and say, hey, there's something not right here. We call this discernment. The ability to recognize and to understand what is true and what is false. From this, we discover that not everyone who is baptized is a Christian. 
And some of you growing up, maybe as a baby, you were baptized. And I'm and I going to tell you, as a pastor for 36 years now, I have heard, I've heard, had so many people over the years come to me and say, Pastor, can you, baby, can you baptize my babies? And my reaction, my response to that is no. But if my baby dies, then he'll go to hell. She'll go to hell. And I said, well, where did you read that? Can you show me the scripture and the verse where it says that? Well, no, but that's what I was taught. Well, I'm going to tell you, it's not in the Bible. Being baptized does not get you into heaven. Baptism is, in fact, an act of obedience, an act of faith in response to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You're baptized after you put your faith in Christ. It's saving faith that saves you. Really important to hear that and understand that. It's not the sacraments that save you. It's the faith in Christ that saves you. Simon thought that he was converted because he said he was converted, because he believed, because he was baptized. Because he was hanging around with Philip, he didn't miss an evangelistic meeting. He didn't miss a revival meeting. He was there. He watched it. He saw it. He was part of it. Not everyone who goes to church, not everyone who's at revival meetings, not everyone who hangs around with other Christians, not everyone who is part of the fellowship is a Christian. Look at Philip was duped. He believed that Simon the sorcerer, the magician, was actually converted. That's why he baptized him. But when he asked to buy the power of God so that he could lay hands on people so that they would speak in tongues, that's when the truth came out. This is when we discover who Simon really is. In fact, here is what Peter says to him. May your money be destroyed with you for thinking that God's gift can be bought. J.B. Phillips translates that phrase as follows, as follows, to hell with you and your money. Strong words. This is very polite wording. But in the Greek, it's to hell with you and your money. If you think that the Christian faith can be purchased, if you think that anything of God can be paid for with money or that money can win you favor with God, to hell with you and your money. You and I need to understand what it means to truly be a follower of Jesus Christ. If you are under the impression that you can buy your way with God, that you can win God's favor with your money, then to hell with you and your money. You can have no part in this, Peter says, for your heart is not right with God. Has anybody ever heard of the term simony? The term simony actually comes from Simon. And you may, if you've done any, uh, any reading of history, then you know that especially in the Middle Ages and, and up to maybe, I don't know how many years ago, but what was common in the Roman Catholic Church is for people to buy an ecclesiastical or a church position with money. 
I'm going to buy, I'm going to buy my, my place as a bishop. I'm going to pay to become a cardinal. I'm going to pay to become a pope. And we saw that. It was unspeakable uh, horrors that happened in the name of Christ because of this crime called simony. It's named after Simon. What happened with Simon? I mean, it looks so good. It looks so promising. Here's a, here's a superstar becoming a Christian. Isn't that what we all want? Man, we just could get some, some, we just get Justin Bieber to become a Christian. Man, he would be a great spokesman for, for Christ, and many people would come to Christ if, if only he'd become a Christian. We get the superstars in there, and, and then being a Christian would be cool. No doubt that's what was thought. What happened? How is it that Simon the Magi was not a Christian? Well, I'm going I'm to tell you, here's where he went wrong. First of all, Simon did not understand himself. And this is really what happens to all of us. When we, when we, when we get into error, it almost always can be traced back to our lack of understanding of ourselves. Think about it for a moment. Simon has been a superstar for a long time, and everybody was hanging on every word that came out of his mouth. Everybody listened to what he had to say. Verse 10 says, everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. They listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. We're talking about a man with an ego that is so big that it fills all of Samaria. And even when he is confronted by God, even when he is confronted by the gospel message, still his ego is so inflated that he cannot understand or see the truth. Another word for this is pride. Pride is the reason why you and I fall into temptation and fall into sin. Pride is why people refuse to follow Christ. Pride is why we, we leave Christ, why we don't want anything to do with Jesus. We even elevate pride to a virtue. He takes pride in his work. His pride will not allow him to accept handouts. He's a proud man. And that somehow was good. Let me tell you, it's not good. Because it was pride that had Satan and his angels kicked out of heaven. It was pride that had Adam and Eve kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Satan wanted to be like God. Adam and Eve, the same thing. They wanted to be like God. Isn't that the temptation? Satan said to Adam and Eve, hey, if you eat the fruit, you become like God, knowing good and evil. It was pride that caused Haman to be hanged from the gallows. You know the story of Ruth and how Haman had to try to have the Jewish people all killed. It was pride that caused the people of Sodom and Gomorrah to lose their lives. Pride was masked as holiness with the Pharisees. And that's what made them reject Christ. They were jealous of Christ. 
And so pretending to be holy, but in fact being proud, they rejected Christ. The religious leaders of the day, their, their pride was masked as zeal, zeal for God. And so they had Jesus put to death. Your pride, if you don't understand what it is, you need to understand immediately that it will be your downfall. Pride always goes before the fall. But our problem is that we, like Simon, don't see it in ourselves. We see it in others, but we don't often see it in ourselves. We see other people's sin, but we think of ourselves as pretty darn good people. Thanks for asking. God, James says, opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The Apostle Paul, in all his talk of victory in Jesus, victory in Christ, has an area in his life where he is not enjoying victory. In fact, he, he confesses. He's got this thorn in his flesh. We don't know what it is. There's all kinds of conjecture. There's all sorts of suggestions and theories about what that thorn in his flesh was. We, we are assuming, and I believe that we can safely say that it is metaphorical. And I'm glad that Paul doesn't declare what that thorn in his flesh was because it makes us all understand. When we have thorns in our flesh, when we have difficulties in our lives, when we have struggles in our lives, it's there for a reason. You say, what on earth? I thought when I prayed and I had the victory in Jesus, God would give me whatever I want, my prayers would be answered every time. If you have a Mickey Mouse religion, then that's maybe so. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have put your faith in Christ, then you understand that God is at work in your life making you like Jesus. And sometimes it means that for the rest of your life, you're going to have to go through a bit of suffering. The Apostle Paul says, I prayed three times, God, take that thorn from my flesh. And finally, the Spirit of God said to him, no deal. You're keeping the thorn. It's yours for life. And there's a reason for it. It's to keep you humble. It's to keep you humble and trusting in God. And it was then that Paul said, ah, I finally get it. God's grace is sufficient for me. And if going through a bit of suffering for the rest of my life is going to keep me humble and receiving the power and the help of God, then, then God, thank you for it. Can you do that? This is, this is authentic Christianity, people. You're hearing authentic Christianity here now. There's sometimes you will be stuck with a thorn in your flesh in order to stay humble. What's the alternative? Go back to your pride and lose your salvation. Lose out on salvation. You see, if you understand the, the greatest thing that God wants to do in your life is to make you like Jesus, then you can understand what I'm saying. Because pride cannot dwell in the presence of Almighty God. Simon did not understand that. 
He's thinking, man, if I get the power and I can lay my hands on people and if they can speak in tongues, my power and my greatness will increase and people will know that I am as great as I was before and even greater. Isn't that what we all want? We want recognition. As parents, we want our children to, to do well, become famous, be rock stars. I'm going to tell you, don't ever wish that on your children. The thing that's going to save your life and save your children's lives is that they learn how to walk in humility because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourself then under the mighty hand of God, and in due time, he will lift you up. This is exactly what happened to Paul. This is what's happened to every, every godly man and woman in history. They have learned how to surrender and to submit to God. To hell with you and your money. Learn, Simon, what it is to walk in humility before God. You are not the great one. You are not the power of God. God is. Jesus Christ is. You are not. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. Simon didn't understand salvation. He thought, ah, I've gone through all the rituals. I believed. I was baptized. I went to church. I fellowship with Christians. Listen, his, his salvation is purely ritualistic. It's external. It's things that you do. He didn't understand that real Christianity is a relationship with Almighty God. That's why we teach here across church in our discipleship training. We teach that the first and most important thing that you're going to do in your life is have a daily walk with God. Folks, if you're not praying and reading your Bible every day, then your faith will quickly become just a religion, an empty husk. The thing that makes your Christianity vibrant and real is that you have a walk with God, that you know God, that you communicate with God, that you pray and read your Bible every day. For Simon, no relationship with God and no understanding of the divine transformation that's supposed to take place when you become a Christian. The evidence that you are a Christian is that you are transformed and being transformed. This is what Paul says in, in Romans chapter 12. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? By walking with God. Simon had none of that. No transformation. It's exactly the same after he professes Christ. Exactly the same as he was before. Maybe that's you today gone through all the rituals. Hey, we have had people sitting in these chairs on a Sunday morning who've heard the same messages as you. They've gone through the motions. I remember one guy made an appointment with somebody on staff here. I want to become a Christian. Can we have a chat about this? Can we talk about this? We talked about it, but it was all external. It didn't hit his heart. Salvation, my friends, is all about putting your faith in Christ and then allowing the Spirit of God to transform you and make you like Jesus. That's the evidence that you are converted. There's so many people that call themselves a Christian. We said that there are 2.3 billion Christians in the world. I wonder, they may call themselves Christians, but are they all Christians? Simon, I know 
idea, no understanding of sin. He didn't understand himself. He didn't understand salvation. He didn't understand sin. Peter points out Simon's sin to him, attributing the work of God to humans, degrading what is sacred. Wow. Peter says, Simon, to hell with you and your money. And here's what he says then in in the next few verses. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts, for I can see that you're full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. Simon does not, he, he doesn't weep. He doesn't express sorrow for his sin. He's fearful. In fact, he says to, he says to Peter, well, you pray for me. You pray and hope that nothing happens. No repentance, no sorrow for his sin. Doesn't get it. Look, the evidence that you are converted is that you feel sorrow, profound sorrow for your sin. That you have transgressed that you have broken the laws of God. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, he writes them a scathing letter because of the sin in the church. And then in the second letter to the Corinthians, he's, he's, he's really written some harsh things. And he says, he says this in, in verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 7. He says, I'm glad I sent you the letter, not because it hurts you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. Hey, listen, the evidence that you have repented is that you're, you're doing things different. You're living different. You're not living the way you were before. Paul says, it was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have, so you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regrets for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Are you truly converted? Are you really a Christian today? Do you understand that your biggest problem is your sinful nature? and your pride? Do you understand that? Are you willing to humble yourself before God and confess your sin to him? Are you willing to humble yourself and say, Lord, forgive me? Are you willing to understand that you and I are in need of an internal salvation, not just religiosity, not just a religion of rituals, but a salvation that unites the sinner to the Savior. Do you understand that common to every single person in this room is a battle with sin and that God calls us to come in sorrow, confessing our sins, asking him to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness.
Don't wait for somebody else to pray the prayer like Simon. Simon, Peter, you pray. You pray. You confess your sin. You ask God to forgive you and to cleanse you. And the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Would you stand with me, please? God, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for showing us what a real Christian is. God, we pray that we would not be like Simon, full of pride, indifferent to a relationship with you, religious but dead on the inside, indifferent to sin. God, forgive us for excusing ourselves by declaring it's no big deal, no one's perfect, I'm not as bad as others. God, save us for that, from that kind of hypocrisy. Help us, we pray, Lord, to come in humble, humble adoration, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we ask you to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And we pray that in the name of our Savior, who loves us and who died for us. We pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Tell the person beside you, go read the book of Acts.